Section 3 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1913-1922. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents. Woodrow Wilson. December 7, 1915. Part 1. Gentlemen of the Congress. Since I last had the privilege of addressing you on the State of the Union, the War of Nations on the other side of the sea, which had then only begun to disclose its portentous proportions, has extended its threatening and sinister scope until it has swept within its flame some portion of every quarter of the globe, not excepting our own hemisphere, has altered the whole face of international affairs and now presents a prospect of reorganization and reconstruction such as statesmen and peoples have never been called upon to attempt before we have stood apart studiously neutral it was our manifest duty to do so not only did we have no part or interest in the policies which seem to have brought the conflict on it was necessary if a universal catastrophe was to be avoided that a limit should be set to the sweep of destructive war, and that some part of the great family of nations should keep the processes of peace alive, if only to prevent collective economic ruin and the breakdown throughout the world of the industries by which its populations are fed and sustained. It was manifestly the duty of the self-governed nations of this hemisphere to redress, if possible, the balance of economic loss and confusion in the other, if they could do nothing more. In the day of readjustment and recuperation, we earnestly hope and believe that they can be of infinite service. In this neutrality, to which they were bidden not only by their separate life and their habitual detachment from the politics of Europe, but also by a clear perception of international duty, the States of America have become conscious of a new and more vital community of interest and moral partnership in affairs more closely conscious of the many common sympathies and interests and duties which bid them stand together. There was a time in the early days of our own great nation, and of the republics fighting their way to independence in Central and South America, when the government of the United States looked upon itself as in some sort the guardian of the republics of the South of her as against any encroachments or efforts at political control from the other side of the water, felt its duty to play the part even without invitation from them. And I think that we can claim that the task was undertaken with a true and disinterested enthusiasm for the freedom of the Americas and the unmolested self-government of her independent peoples. But it was always difficult to maintain such a role without offense to the pride of the peoples whose freedom of action we sought to protect, and without provoking serious misconceptions of our motives. And every thoughtful man of affairs must welcome the altered circumstances of the new day in whose light we now stand, when there is no claim of guardianship or thought of wards, but instead a full and honorable association as of partners between ourselves and our neighbors in the interest of all america north and south 
our concern for the independence and prosperity of the states of central and south america is not altered we retain unabated the spirit that has inspired us throughout the whole life of our government and which was so frankly put into words by president monroe we still mean always to make a common cause of national independence and of political liberty in america but that purpose is now better understood so far as it concerns ourselves it is known not to be a selfish purpose it is known to have in it no thought of taking advantage of any government in this hemisphere or playing its political fortunes for our own benefit all the governments of america stand so far as we are concerned upon a footing of genuine equality and unquestioned independence we have been put to the test in the case of mexico and we have stood the test whether we have benefited mexico by the course we have pursued remains to be seen her fortunes are in her own hands but we have at least proved that we will not take advantage of her in her distress and undertake to impose upon her an order and government of our own choosing liberty is often a fierce and intractable thing to which no bounds can be set and to which no bounds of a few men's choosing ought ever to be set every american who has drunk at the true fountains of principle and tradition must subscribe without reservation to the high doctrine of the virginia bill of rights which in the great days in which our government was set up was everywhere amongst us accepted as the creed of free men that doctrine is that government is or ought to be instituted for the common benefit protection and security of the people nation or community that all of the various modes and forms of government that is the best which is capable of producing the greatest degree of happiness and safety and is most effectually secured against the danger of maladministration and that when any government shall be found inadequate or contrary to these purposes a majority of the community hath an indubitable inalienable and indefeasible right to reform alter or abolish it in such manner as shall be judged most conducive to the public weal we have unhesitatingly applied that heroic principle to the case of mexico and now hopefully await the rebirth of the troubled republic which had so much of which to purge itself and so little sympathy from any outside quarter in the radical but necessary process we will aid and befriend mexico but we will not coerce her and our course with regard to her ought to be sufficient proof to all america that we seek no political suzerainty or selfish control the moral is that the states of america are not hostile rivals but cooperating friends and that their growing sense of community or interest alike in matters political and in matters economic is likely to give them a new significance as factors in international affairs and in political history of the world it presents them as in a very deep and true sense a unit in world affairs spiritual partners standing together because thinking together quick with common sympathies and common ideals separated 
they are subject to all the cross-currents of the confused politics of a world of hostile rivalries united in spirit and purpose they cannot be disappointed of their peaceful destiny this is pan-americanism it has none of the spirit of empire in it it is the embodiment the effectual embodiment of the spirit of law and independence and liberty and mutual service a very notable body of men recently met in the city of washington at the invitation and as the guests of this government whose deliberations are likely to be looked back to as marking a memorable turning point in the history of america they were representative spokesmen of the several independent states of this hemisphere and were assembled to discuss the financial and commercial relations of the republics of the two continents which nature and political fortune have so intimately linked together i earnestly recommend to your perusal the reports of their proceedings and of the actions of their committees you will get from them i think a fresh conception of the ease and intelligence and advantage with which americans of both continents may draw together in practical cooperation and of what the material foundations of this hopeful partnership of interest must consist of how we should build them and how necessary it is that we should hasten their building there is i venture to point out an especial significance just now attaching to this whole matter of drawing the americans together in bonds of honorable partnership and mutual advantage because of the economic readjustments which the world must inevitably witness within the next generation when peace shall have at last resumed its healthful tasks in the performance of these tasks i believe the americans to be destined to play their parts together i am interested to fix your attention on this prospect now because unless you take it within your view and permit the full significance of it to command your thought i cannot find the right light in which to set forth the particular matters that lies at the very front of my whole thought as i address you to-day i mean national defense no one who really comprehends the spirit of the great people for whom we are appointed to speak can fail to perceive that their passion is for peace their genius best displayed in the practice of the arts of peace great democracies are not belligerent they do not seek or desire war their thought is of individual liberty and of the free labor that supports life and the uncensored thought that quickens it conquest and dominion are not in our reckoning or agreeable to our principles but just because we demand unmolested development and the undisturbed government of our own lives upon our own principles of right and liberty we resent from whatever quarter it may come the aggression we ourselves will not practice we insist upon security in prosecuting our self-chosen lines of national development we do more than that we demand it also for others we do not confine our enthusiasm for individual liberty and free national development to the incidents and movements of affairs which affect only ourselves we feel it wherever there is a people that tries to walk in these difficult paths of independence and right 
from the first we have made common cause with all partisans of liberty on this side the sea and we have deemed it as important that our neighbors should be free from all outside domination as that we ourselves should be we have set america aside as a whole for the uses of independent nations and political free men out of such thoughts grow all our policies we regard war merely as a means of asserting the rights of a people against aggression and we are as fiercely jealous of coercive or dictatorial power within our own nation as of aggression from without we will not maintain a standing army except for uses which are as necessary in times of peace as in times of war and we shall always see to it that our military peace establishment is no larger than is actually and continuously needed for the uses of days in which no enemies move against us but we do believe in a body of free citizens ready and sufficient to take care of themselves and of the governments which they have set up to serve them in our constitutions themselves we have commanded that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed and our confidence has been that our safety in times of danger would lie in the rising of the nation to take care of itself as the farmers rose in lexington but war had never been a mere matter of men and guns it is a thing of disciplined might if our citizens are ever to fight effectively upon a sudden summons they must know how modern fighting is done and what to do when the summons comes to render themselves immediately available and immediately effective and the government must be their servant in this matter must supply them with the training they need to take care of themselves and of it the military arm of their government which they will not allow to direct them they may properly use to serve them and make their independence secure and not their own independence merely but the rights also of those with whom they have made common cause should they also be put in jeopardy they must be fitted to play the great role in the world and particularly in this hemisphere for which they are qualified by principle and by chastened ambition to play it is with these ideals in mind that the plans of the department of war for more adequate national defense were conceived which will be laid before you and which i urge you to sanction and put into effect as soon as they can be properly scrutinized and discussed they seem to me the essential first steps and they seem to me for the present sufficient they contemplate an increase of the standing force of the regular army from its present strength of five thousand and twenty-three officers and one hundred and two thousand nine hundred and eighty-five enlisted men of all services to a strength of seven thousand one hundred and thirty-six officers and one hundred and thirty-four thousand seven hundred and seven enlisted men or one hundred and forty-one thousand eight hundred and forty-three all told all services rank and file by the addition of fifty-two companies of coast artillery fifteen companies of engineers ten regiments of infantry 
four regiments of field artillery and four aero squadrons besides seven hundred and fifty officers required for a great variety of extra service especially the all-important duty of training the citizen force of which i shall presently speak seven hundred and ninety-two non-commissioned officers for service and drill recruiting and the like and the necessary quota of enlisted men for the quartermaster corps the hospital corps the ordnance department and other similar auxiliary services these are the additions necessary to render the army adequate for its present duties duties which it has to perform not only upon our own continental coasts and borders and at our interior army posts but also in the philippines in the hawaiian islands at the isthmus and in puerto rico by way of making the country ready to assert some part of its real power promptly and upon a larger scale should occasion arise the plan also contemplates supplementing the army by a force of four hundred thousand disciplined citizens raised in increments of one hundred and thirty three thousand a year throughout a period of three years this it is proposed to do by a process of enlistment under which the serviceable men of the country would be asked to bind themselves to serve with the colors for purposes of training for short periods throughout three years and to come to the colors a call at any time throughout an additional furlough period of three years this force of four hundred thousand men would be provided with personal accoutrements as fast as enlisted and their equipment for the field made ready to be supplied at any time they would be assembled for training at stated intervals at convenient places in association with suitable units of the regular army their period of annual training would not necessarily exceed two months in the year it would depend upon the patriotic feeling of the younger men of the country whether they responded to such a call to service or not it would depend upon the patriotic spirit of the employers of the country whether they made it possible for the younger men in their employ to respond under favorable conditions or not i for one do not doubt the patriotic devotion either of our young men or of those who give them employment those for whose benefit and protection they would in fact enlist i would look forward to the success of such an experiment with entire confidence at least so much by way of preparation for defense seems to me to be absolutely imperative now we cannot do less end of section three